Chris, Dustin, thanks for joining us. Uh, It's great to have you here. Uh, Chris, you're in Western Australia in Perth. For those that aren't familiar with Hame Shali, just give us a Give us a bit of a rundown of your firm. Okay, so Home uh, Charlie is uh, a multidiscipline firm. Uh, we've been around for over 40 years uh, and we are located in Western Australia, South Australia, uh, in all um, states except for Tasmania at the moment. Um, so we're around the country. Uh, the multidiscipline aspect is that we include planners, urban designers, architects, interior designers um, and uh, and uh, we undertake a broad spectrum of work. We've got a number of portfolios uh, which deal with health, defence, uh, residential, um, commercial and uh, retail as well um, and sports and recreation. So we've got um, uh, quite a lot of horsepower uh, and um, we've been around a long time but we're always trying to think of the future and um, we try to make communities flourish. And Chris, I mean, it's really interesting. You've got you've got eyes across all sectors and all cities and regions in uh, in Australia. Um, you're located in in Perth. What, what, what's yep. what's happening on the ground in Perth at the moment? Well, um, on the ground at the moment, uh, Perth is uh, is very busy, um, particularly in the retail sector, uh, in the residential sector at the moment. Um, residential housing has gone through um, uh, quite a, 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 the word boom gets used a lot over in this side of the country, Um, but it has been like a mini boom uh, on the back of government incentives, mainly for uh, land development and and new housing. But what that's done is it's triggered a a movement along the chain of residential development. And so we're seeing um, quite a, uh, uh, quite a, a few developments coming to the fore now, um, both because of the market and also because of um, the government's assistance in terms of fast-tracking a number of projects as well. So the residential housing market is quite hot at the moment and so too uh, the apartment market is catching up. It's lagging behind a little, but it's getting hot as well. Uh, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of other sectors, um, uh, retail, well, Dustin can talk probably a little bit more about that, but retail here in the West is um, is quite good uh, with the neighbourhood centres. The big box centres, I think, are, are still um, suffering a little bit from the COVID uh, situation. Um, commercial markets, mm, again, they're, they're quite cyclical in Perth and uh, probably improving a little, but again, they, they are impacted by COVID and working from home and, and all those issues as well. Yeah, so let's talk about, I mean, what's happening on the ground in the middle of Perth? Um, you guys have been involved in a, uh, a master planning exercise in Subiaco, um, which is, which is um, for those that don't know Perth well, right, right in the centre of town. So can you talk, talk us through some of the master planning work that Haim Charlie is doing? Yeah, so um, there... Uh, the former Subiaco Oval site um, became redundant um, because of the construction of a new uh, um, stadium that can hold, I think, 60,000 people uh, in Burswood in Perth. So we're all very proud of that stadium and uh, 
at least one of the teams that plays there. I'm very proud of the Dockers. Um, so the, uh, the former stadium became redundant. And also uh, adjacent to that stadium um, is um, the uh, former Princess Margaret Hospital site. Uh, Perth now has a new children's hospital, um, which has been built and operating for the last four or five years. And so also that land became available for redevelopment. And we, we won a tender to undertake a, a, a collaborative team, bring the team to the table of many consultants, um, but to undertake the master planning of those two pieces of land on behalf of the uh, West Australian government. So what's it look like? What's that master plan look like? And I guess what's different and unique about it? Well, taking the oval itself, um, one of the, um, uh, the key considerations was actually to retain the heritage oval. Um, the um, Subiaco oval is quite a, uh, a long, uh, uh, long game oval, it's been called uh, from time to time. Uh, and, and it's a large oval, but that has been fully retained and will uh, facilitate sports for an adjacent school. Um, the, the, uh, the Bob Ward School has been um, built uh, immediately adjacent to the, um, the oval. And so the, uh, the, the former oval will actually um, be uh, playing fields for that. And the West Australian Football Commission will have a presence there too. So there will be sports and activities. And then at weekends and other times, the community can have the benefit of the space as well. And then immediately adjacent on the northern side of the oval, there's more open space. Uh, that's been uh, been reclaimed with the demolition of the uh, the, the, the stands uh, for public recreation, and then beyond that, uh, there are uh, a mixture of residences um, uh, in the region of 2,000 to 2,200 dwellings uh, around um, the oval and the adjacent land. Uh, the oval is very near to uh, West Leadville Railway Station, uh, so it is well supported by public transport. Um, and so we're looking at a mixture of typologies and densities, but immediately to the north and to the south of the oval, we're keeping the, um, the development but down to around five, six storeys. Uh, and then there are some taller buildings on the, uh, the western side of the oval. Uh, and then we're looking at mixed use, a variety of uses, uh, mainly residential on the hospital side, uh, and really looking at initiatives we, uh, the government and ourselves are exploring community title um, uh, on that particular site, the Princess Margaret Hospital site, the former site hospital. So we're looking at community title and what benefits that can bring in terms of sustainability, shared infrastructure and things like that. I think one of the things that you mentioned previously, which is that multidisciplinary um, sort of broad range of expertise across the business is, is critical for piecing together complex projects. And, um, and I've no doubt that that strikes me as a pretty complex um, project. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump across to Dustin because I know that you're doing a lot of work in terms of, um, you know, bringing together a various range of uses um, in mixed-use developments, looking at existing assets as well as completely new development. Dustin, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing in Sydney. Yeah, I guess since we've had a few projects that have been on the books for a while, we're, there's one out with council at the moment out at Macquarie, Macquarie Shopping Centre, which is a significant sort of upgrade and repositioning of the retail asset, which has come along with some high level, uh, I guess, feasibility 
exercises into what could potentially add value to the site based on the sort of different uses, like whether that be student housing, allied health, there's, there's been a range of things considered. Uh, and then based on last year with a lot of projects obviously been putting on the shelf, um, we've had a, there's been a really significant upside and change in attitude from a lot of developers to, to look, relook at what they had planned this year as well. So there's, um, we've got a really, really exciting new one at the moment, which is brand new. And that looks to bring together everything from childcare, function center, fulfillment center, residential, commercial, retail, all, all within one site to sort of generate this really, really prosperous community that can give back to the, to the precinct around it. So how do you go about putting those pieces together? Can you help us understand how you're working closely with your client to really achieve what is the brief, but then also to, um, you know, to design something that's holistic and, and one? Good question. Definitely not easy, but but a really good challenge for us. I think Chris touched on it before. We have we have sort of thought leadership groups that head up each one of our different portfolios. So we we work on the mantra that we're um, one practice, many studios. So say a project here in Sydney, the one I just mentioned, we'll we'll have Chris has been involved. We'll have the head of our national retail. Uh, portfolio, our resi guys all join us on on these really sort of intensive workshops that have the client involved. So we make sure we take them along with the journey and just consistently test scenarios that that sort of to see whether they can stack up against uh, their aspirations for the site. It's just a continual sort of overlaying of information from council requirements, yield testing, scenario testing um, with with who we think are. I guess the knowledge leaders in those specific fields. Let's unpack that a little bit because I'm really interested to see how. So Chris is over in Western Australia, you're in Sydney, and the different um, you know principals and associates and um, architects within within the practice get together and do these intensive workshops. How do you share information, Chris? How, how do you guys um, you know overcome the tyranny of distance and leverage the best of your uh, expertise? We use obviously the uh, Zoom. We we try to use the best technology that we can, and we meet regularly on Zoom. Uh, drawings and files are pretty transferable now, and we all have access um, to a lot of information. I think it's about sharing information, and it's a, it's a good question that you raise. So we do use technology uh, as much as we can, and. Um, and in terms of understanding place, which is, is really important, and collecting data, uh, we will use um, e- external uh, consultants as well who help us uh, in terms of understanding data and how cities work and how places work. Um, and, and so we'll collect data. And, and we will even use companies from the USA who, who can actually track data and information um, uh, overseas. And, and so... It's, uh, it's really a collection of using technology, coming together um, uh, and, uh, and making sure that we meet regularly um, and we challenge each other as, as well. Um, but it's always good to have people on the ground um, who are uh, understanding of the community as well. And, and we do a lot of engagement and our own engagement, and that's really important. So it's really a mixture of technology, the smarts, the best uh, information that we can get for the place itself, 
um, and um, and also then bringing in smarts from where, where wherever they need to be uh, to be sought. Uh, and and we've done that on a number of projects um, reasonably successfully. Dustin, where are you um, picking up cues from when you're sort of going about these projects? And and I guess what are some of the themes that are emerging that are of most interest to you um, as a as an applied architect? I think it's just a willingness for clients to sort of step away from the, I guess, the single use development and and look at moulding a whole a whole heap of uses together. I, I guess historically single use development was seen as as de-risking and the safe option but i think with how things have changed in the last sort of 12 to 18 months um that behavioral mindset of of a lot of people has helped people understand that uh, diversification of uses for each site is actually the best way to create um sort of flex flexibility going forward um and I guess where we get really excited about helping our clients is designing those spaces and places so that whilst day one they might be uh, vertical education or or allied health uh, in five ten years times as as things change uh, they can be they can evolve into something different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that we've seen a fair bit through through our lens is in particularly with, you know, larger existing regional centres, um, uh, sorry, retail centres, is this uh, this sort of re-looking at the mix and, and, and future-proofing and diversification of uses more towards more service-oriented outcomes as opposed to traditional discretionary retail. Um, can you can you just give us some examples of you know specific examples of, of the sort of work that you're doing in that space? Yeah, look, I think retail is yeah we we do obviously do a fair bit of work in in that area. Um, and as Chris said before, the neighbourhood centres themselves have actually done quite well in this. But the larger centres, whilst one thing is to look at I guess vacant plots of site, sorry vacant lots around the perimeter of the site and what can be done there. Uh, it's actually implementing those uses within the centre that that starts to create a really diverse environment, and people are looking for those um, sort of the, the evolution of place and the home away from home. So it's it might be intermingling like co-working facilities into those spaces, libraries. You see car showrooms popping up in in particular areas as well. Um, retail lobbies landing landering on the periphery of a center with direct access into that space so it's really creating those communities within the site bounds that contribute to the wider community rather than the wider community looking to leverage off the off the site itself chris um western australia's had a pretty hard policy um on their borders which has been hugely successful for the incumbent politicians and uh, hugely successful by all measures in terms of preventing the spread of COVID. I mean, how has the last 12 months really fundamentally changed the way that people live? And I guess, and subsequent to that, how has your approach to creating place changed as a result of that? Um, it's, it's, uh, it has uh, changed the way we approach things. I think it's begun to change as you said, the way people live, and I think obviously the obvious one, um, but there are others, is um, uh, live, working from home and having that ability to work from home. So we've been looking at apartments that do 
um, provide that additional space for people to be able to uh, transition and work from home whenever it's necessary. So that 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 has happened. I think there's been um, uh, a greater focus on um, working, and you know, uh, I think there's been a greater focus on coming together uh, and connecting people um, to build on what. Dustin was saying, uh, I think this idea of the mixed use centre creates that vibrancy. And whilst um, uh, COVID has made people nervous, nervous of public transport in, in some ways, people, people are still having to overcome their nervousness around public transport, I think in some cities, um, I think that there will be a push for connection because a lot of people have been in you know, isolation. They understand now what it's like um, to be in a, in, in, in a city that's shut down. And I think at the end of the day, we are creatures that like to connect. And for thousands and thousands of years, we've wanted to connect. So I think the idea of mixed use, taking advantage of being in close proximity to a railway station or a bus depot is something we're going to see more of. Um, uh, so I think that, that that ability to connect is, is really important, like parks became really important during the, the pandemic. So I think we'll see more um, focus on greenery and uh, open space, places where people can exercise, uh, but also where they can connect and, 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 and come together. Um, so I think that that's really uh, important. And we've noticed that change. Um, I think there's a, a simplicity and an understanding about uh, our Indigenous culture that we reference as well in all of our master plans and it played a, a role in the, um, the master plan for the Subiaco uh, Oval developments. Um, so understanding um, uh, how we can connect with nature in a, on, on different levels is important to us too. Yeah. Mixed use is inherently complex. It's, it's, it's much harder um, it's exponentially yes. harder than, than single use. And I guess, Dustin, for you, I mean, what are the biggest challenges uh, from your perspective in terms of integrating mixed uses in a, in a seamless and, and you know, complementary way? Where, where are the hurdles? Where are the bottlenecks? Where do you get held up? Uh, I guess first, firstly, that that's the challenge that excites us. So whilst yes, there's a there's a hell of a lot of um, complexities around it. That's what makes uh, makes our job so interesting. But I think it's just every different use has every has its own set of different intricacies. And as I said, once you build in that uh, desire for future flexibility and evolution of demand, uh, it starts to become really really intricate so you talk, start talking about floor to floor heights for different uses and how they've got an optimum optimum requirements structural grids as you move up through a building start to change uh, so again all of the challenges that we have uh, are solved by communication um, so yeah we, we spend a lot of time in workshops uh, really just sort of listening to each different stakeholders requirements interrogating that challenging it researching, putting all of that together to, to try and, um, it, as you said, it's not easy, but, um, but that's the challenge of, of what we do and that's what's, that's what's really exciting. That's putting together the Rub Rubik's Cube of design. Um, Chris, where do, you, where do you look to for inspiration? I mean, obviously, you've got great work happening within your firm and 
uh, people of all ages and life experiences and and and, and diverse um, you know experiences. As I said, but where do, beyond your firm, where do you look to for inspiration? I think we um, we do look broadly um, for inspiration. We look at what's happening overseas. We look we look for. Um, or any sources, really. I mean, we start with local, as I said, with the indigenous cultures of, 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 of certainly uh, towns and cities and and and, and um, places, uh, regional places within Australia. Um, so we can draw from that. We look for clues anywhere, really, to um, create uh, places that are interesting and exciting, sometimes inspiring. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk to the community, um, we'll find out what's um, relevant to them, we'll talk to artists, and we've, um, we've started to collaborate with um, uh, artists, sculptors and painters um, and street artists as well um, to see whether we can create uh, inspiration for our designs, and not just in art that's applied to a wall or, or something like that, but how can they help inspire us in the creation of a place? And Hame Charlie really does um, does work very hard in creating places, as Dustin said, and you said. It's quite complex when you're looking at mixed use centres. Um, where we think Hame Charlie is very good is is in tapping into our portfolios and understanding some of the um, pragmatic issues that have to be tackled. Um, but we also want to be. Um, uh, artistic as well, and we sometimes call it poetic pragmatism. Um, so we want to to uh, we, we do believe that we've got the smarts to understand where the refuse needs to be stored, how you get the bin lorry in and out, how do you park, um, all of those things. How do you deal with fire, um, particularly when people are living in closer proximity to one another or to a different use, which has a different use classification. So we look at all those things right at the master planning stage as well. And at the same time, we are seeking inspiration um, from all sources, you know, history, heritage, retention of materials. We've been looking at a site near the centre of, um, of Perth, um, which, um, which has had a numerous uses over time from um, heritage, uh, different uses. So that, that can be a source of uh, inspiration as well. Dustin, where do you find inspiration, like in terms of cues? I know Chris covered a fair bit there, but like specific places, do you, you go and seek out, you know, networks overseas? And if so, what? Can you talk to that? Chris has covered off a fair bit of it. I guess to talk a little bit more about the process that we go through on all of our projects is actually just the clients themselves, the clients, the different stakeholders, and what they want to get out of it. Um, I guess spending a lot of time at the outset of the project, just sitting down and listening to them and really drawing a, as much information out of them as you can uh, often throws up some really interesting things that you can leverage and to, to create value. What makes a good client from your point of view? Because we always talk about what makes a good architect, but you know, and a lot of our listeners are developers. Um, what makes a good client? Progressive thinking, uh, open to sharing, exactly what's behind where they're headed. So sometimes you might get a brief, but actually drawing out of them, uh, the, whether it be the metrics, the, the drivers from whatever level, whether that be upper or upper or lower, um, 
And I think, I guess, the last 12, 18 months has actually accelerated that. What, what we're seeing now is clients are typically more willing to come along with us on the journey or work with us on the journey, uh, sort of dive into the to the workshopping and the, the design process, which has been really, really uh, positive. Yeah, interesting. Chris, we're, we're almost out of time, but I just want to get a sense of what's on the drawing board and what the future looks like for your firm. What kind of um, projects are you you're getting your teeth stuck into? So there's quite a few um, interesting projects that we're working on here. Um, uh, we've, we've been working on quite a bit of Metronet um, work, which is the, uh, the rollout of additional um, rail, um, railway track and rail infrastructure. So we've been looking at various um, railway stations in uh, Byford here. Um, we've done exciting work in, uh, with uh, a developer, Geon, and um, um, Queensland Rail in Brisbane. Uh, at Albion Railway Station, uh, the government has retained ownership of pieces of land on either side of the track, which was quite smart, and then uh, partnered with a private developer uh, to produce a mixed-use um, development that sits adjacent, immediately adjacent to the railway station. And then we've looked at how we can improve the railway station and crossing of the railway station and integrate it uh, in, a, in a proper Todd sense. Um, so that's really been very, very exciting. Um, so, and we're also looking at, um, at various uh, projects in, uh, there's one that we've been looking at in, um, in Fremantle on the fishing boat harbour, um, looking to uh, develop that area there, some, um, and, and, and still maintain an active harbour as well and keep that grittiness, that industry, but then introduce carefully some tourism aspects uh, into fishing boat harbour in Fremantle. That, that, that's, that's really exciting. And I think one of the points that Dustin raised uh, in terms of, and you raised in terms of clients, is I think now that clients really do understand the benefit of a brand and they understand that buildings can actually help amplify their brand in a, in a really positive way. Fantastic. Dustin, what's on the drawing board for you in Sydney, mate? Uh, the couple I spoke about. So hopefully Macquarie obviously gets gets through the DA. There's um, a lot of, hell of a lot of alignment work that went into into place for that one. So that'll be exciting once that con comes back. A couple of those bigger developments I talk about spoke about before. They're in really early phase. Um, we've got a school that we're working on at the moment, which was part of a stimulus package. So lots lots and lots happening this year since January. It's kept us kept us very busy, but it's been it's been exciting. And as an architectural practice, are you pretty optimistic about the next 12 to 24 months as a business? I think so, absolutely. Uh, Chris mentioned before, there's a couple of sectors that are that are having some challenges, like workplace and commercial. There's, there's a bit being talked about, but less, less projects becoming active. But um, I think once... Once retail and resi start kicking back into gear, which they look to be doing, um, yeah, we, we've been super, super excited since January. It's been great. And Chris, what about the West? What's the the next couple of years look like in uh, in Western Australia? I think it's it's quite positive. I think um, I think we have to uh, um, really um, work hard, take advantage of the. Um, of the uh, the improving economy over here in the West, um, but not get carried away. I think quality is still an important element um, that we we need to inject 
into all of our projects. But I think as a business, um, we are quite optimistic um, that, um, that the whole of the country can improve and uh, various markets uh, will improve, we think. Uh, some will be challenging, but challenges are great uh, opportunities as well. Well, Chris and Dustin, thank you very much for your time. It's awesome to hear what Haim Shali is doing and your approach to business and the fact that uh, that you've considered what the work you do is poet, poetic pragmatism um, is, uh, is outstanding. So uh, look, full credit to you guys and uh, I wish you all the very, very best into the future. Thanks.